Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, appropriately enough, Michael Cutler. I hope you've all been having a wonderful holiday season, whether uh, wrapping up celebrating Hanukkah or getting ready for Christmas, going out there and shopping and enjoying this time of year. I hope you and those close to you are having a good time of it. But of course, the beat goes on, the madness goes on, and we must keep ourselves aware and awake to just how corrupt and misleading our government has become so that we can push back as Americans. And that's something all Americans must do. And the issue isn't limited to one party or the other. And I'm, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later on, but I want everyone out there listening to my program to understand something. We have taken to this notion, and I don't know how this has happened, that our fellow Americans who may hold different political beliefs are the enemy. The enemy are those who would stifle debate. Uh, The whole idea to democracy, the whole idea to First Amendment freedoms of speech, and to be able to communicate your ideas to anybody, excuse me, willing to listen to you, and to peaceably assemble. Those are the words out of the First Amendment, the right for peaceable assemblage. And increasingly, the polarization of Americans has made discussions with those people that we disagree with almost impossible. And this is dangerous, because if we can't share our ideas, if we only listen to the people whose opinions we agree with, we become hardened in our positions and may be missing bigger issues. uh, We may lose the ability to question that which needs to be questioned. And I can tell you, in this dangerous era, Not enough Americans are asking the tough questions. So we ought to see our neighbors who disagree with us, not as our adversaries, but as our allies if we can win them over. And you don't win people over by insulting them or attacking them, and that has become what America is. It's a food fight. It's a bad reality program. And boy, oh boy, how in the world did we ever come to call those idiotic television programs reality shows? Um, Truly mind-boggling. So we'll get back to that, but I want you to bear in mind what I'm telling you. If we're going to persuade people that maybe they're getting it wrong, and maybe we need to, maybe we can find thinking. We need open channels of communication, even with those people we disagree with, provided they're willing to be respectful and provide fact-based opinions, not the nonsense of I've heard they say et cetera, et cetera. We've all heard that nonsense. But there are facts out there, facts that the people that profit by swindling Americans don't want us to have. And the way to keep us from having access to the information is through censorship of language and dividing America up, this dangerous and anti-American game of identity politics. All work against America and Americans. It aids our enemies 
It confounds the opportunity to have conversations with those that we might disagree with, perhaps win people over to our side. And we've got to start doing a better job of communicating our ideas so that our neighbors, our friends, whomever, if they disagree with us, let's have civil conversation. Let's have that debate. Uh, You know, in my um, education, I, I majored in communications, arts, and sciences. I had planned to teach debate on the college level. Debate is essential for democracy. Without open debate, without discussion, without arguments, we have a serious problem. It threatens our way of life, and we have to push back. And that's the work all Americans should be doing. So maybe we should make that our New Year's resolution. But anyway, those of you who are familiar with me, familiar with this program, know that I'm a retired senior special agent with what used to be the Immigration and Naturalization Service, an agency that was sliced, diced, and chopped up and reassembled under the guise of the Department of Homeland Security. I came to call it the Department of Homeland Surrender, a bureaucratic monstrosity created by George W. Bush. You know, both sides of the aisle are responsible for the mess we're in. And so uh, my mission since 9-11 has been to go out there and try to educate as many of our fellow Americans and many of our elected representatives as possible as to the true nature of immigration, the true importance of border security. And so when you see people saying, well, you know, we don't want to discriminate against the immigrants, We're not talking about immigrants. We're talking about aliens who violate our borders, violate our laws, and pose a threat to our safety, pose a threat to our ability to support ourselves and our families. First and foremost, the immigration laws were enacted to protect American workers and their jobs. The Labor Department used to run immigration prior to the Second World War. So when you have politicians saying, why are they arresting these poor people who are busy working? Folks, if they're here illegally and they're working, they've stolen a job and they're sending money out of our economy and that hurts the national debt. So please understand this notion that some alien present in the United States who doesn't have a criminal history but is working is not someone to be revered because they've stolen a job. And when you flood the labor pool with lots and lots and lots of workers, primarily from the third world, and those workers bring with them third world expectations of wages and working conditions, what it does is to drive down wages, which is why the Republicans led the charge initially for open borders. Most people don't realize it. They say to me, Mike Cutler, how can you claim that you're registered as a Democrat? The Democrats want to destroy ICE. Yes, the Democrats aren't Democrats. They've lost their minds. They're off the wall. They're crazy. They have betrayed their base. The Democratic Party used to be the party of hardworking Americans. They try to still convince people of that, but the facts make it clear. They are the enemy of working Americans. They are the enemy of the families the working Americans support. By flooding America with foreign workers, you displace Americans. You prevent American kids from getting opportunities to take those entry-level jobs that are now frequently taken by illegal aliens. When I grew up in Brooklyn, I worked in a kosher deli about 10 blocks from my house. I used to go to work every day on my bike. I was 14 years old. And it was the first real job I had other than babysitting for our tenants' uh, infants. So this was 
a, 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 the initial entry that went into my resume when I looked for another job. And a couple of years later, in fact, I worked for Citibank. It was then First National City, and they were signing up businesses on what was the everything card, the forerunner to MasterCard and Visa. And they wanted to see a resume. <clears throat> so I gave them a resume. It started when I was 14 working in that kosher deli, a year later working at a day camp, or two years later. And all of those prior jobs with good references made me a desirable employee for this bank. And it was a wonderful job. And it became an important addition to my resume when I applied to work for the Justice Department a few years later when I graduated from college. So you build a resume by taking entry-level jobs. Entry-level jobs today are gone. They are going to illegal aliens. And you look at kids living in tough neighborhoods, they have almost no way of earning an honest buck. So that immediately puts them at loggerheads with law enforcement because the only way to make a couple of bucks is to do something that's illegal. So when they see that guy with the badge, they don't see a friend or someone they can go to for help. They see an adversary. This isn't good for society. It's not good for those kids growing up that way. Everybody wants to be able to get their hands on some money so they can take that cute girl out to dinner. Or if it's a young lady, she wants to buy a nice dress or clothing or whatever it is that we do as kids. Want to go to the movies want to go away for a weekend. Well, that takes money. And if you're closed out of jobs, what in the world do you do? Well, all too frequently we find that young people are doing those things that are illegal, particularly in the tough crime-ridden neighborhoods. (coughs) Pardon me. Forgive me for my uh, Kermit-like frog in the throat today. Um, So immediately they're put into a position of doing things that are outside the law, It creates a pattern of conduct that haunts them for the rest of their lives. And the politicians know this, but they don't care. They don't care. They go into the neighborhoods after there's a a riot, and they say, oh, we're going to help you. Yeah, they're going to help them. To what? They get back in their air-conditioned limo and disappear, never to be seen again, having delivered that little speech, and they got the photo op and the video clip for the evening news. If we were really worried about American kids, we'd make damn sure that those entry-level jobs were still available to them so they could put their foot on the first rung of the economic ladder for mainstream economic America. Those jobs are gone. Illegal aliens are doing the jobs, and these kids have nowhere to go, no place to earn money, and it begins all too frequently uh, in a spiral that gets these kids involved with criminal activity, and we're off to the races, and we see a catastrophe. And our jails are filling up, but that's okay because prisons very often are private institutions, so there's profit to be made at the suffering of those children who don't have opportunities in America, and no one cares about them. No one cares about anything but themselves and greed and more money. And it's remarkable because the Republicans, and I hear this all the time, The Democrats want those immigrants to come in because they know they're going to vote for the Democrats. Does anybody stop and think that if you keep destroying the wages for Americans and Americans can no longer support themselves, they begin to depend more and more on the safety net programs, and the Democrats are very good at waving around proposals for more safety net programs. So if you are unable to buy a home or a car or or even pay the rent, 
Now those safety net programs become important to you, and you're going to go towards the party that offers you the best safety net programs, and that's almost invariably the Democrats. The Republicans are their own worst enemy. They know that you know the, the people that support their campaigns are very often business people. Business people want to pay the least amount for everything. They want no regulation. And if they could get away with paying their workers a dollar an hour, they would. Some of these outfits, I'm sure, would still like to employ children. I raided enough sweatshops as an agent and saw enough insanity being foisted on those poor workers. My sympathy was with the illegal aliens who were being treated like slaves, working literally in sweatshops, 110 degree, 120 degree temperatures on a hot summer day on the floor of these dress factories and coat factories with the steam presses running and these women for the most part and some men but mostly women sitting shoulder to shoulder bathed in sweat dust flying everywhere safety exits fire exits were blocked no air conditioning hell on earth created in the factories and very often these bums who run those factories support the candidate who promises them that they won't enforce the immigration laws. And, and, and that's easy to do. Don't hire ICE agents. And that's the policy we've seen. We only have 6,000 ICE agents and more than half of them are tied up doing non-immigration related work. Thanks to George W. Bush, who was pandering to sweatshop owners among others. Now everybody knows what Americans want. They want secure borders and effective immigration law enforcement. But of course, if any politician stood up and said that on the right, they wouldn't win the votes because we know conservatives want secure borders, the secure, uh, rather the conservatives who aren't the owners of the factories, that is to say. <clears throat> There's many more of them that vote than the people making the campaign contributions who want no immigration enforcement. So we get this kabuki theater of tough laws with no agents. So the laws don't matter if there's no agents to enforce the law. You see, this is the game that's played on us. And the Democrats, you know, go to the other side now, and they say, oh, no, no more immigration enforcement. And the Republicans say, well, that's crazy. It's not crazy, because we don't have immigration enforcement. How else could you have 30 or more million illegal aliens living in the United States if you really had immigration law enforcement? These are failures by design. I wrote a massive article about this for the social contract for their fall edition, and in fact, um, my article, Sanctuary Country, became, became the theme for the entire issue, which they called Sanctuary Nation. This is about flooding America with cheap labor and encouraging more people to come here, whether they come legally, illegally, doesn't matter. Just come on down like the old price is right. Come on down, and you have nothing to fear from the evil ICE agents. And that's the message being sent to people all over the world. And it has gotten so bad that more and more police departments refuse to cooperate with ICE. More and more police departments uh, are being told not to even talk to ICE agents. You've had former judges and current judges saying, we don't want ICE agents arresting illegal aliens in courtrooms. I did it all the time. And in fact, back in the late 1970s, I had a judge threaten to have me arrested if I dared to arrest a criminal alien who she was arraigning in her courtroom, <clears throat> this was a city judge, and the alien in question had a very serious criminal history. And while my buddies kept an eye on things in the courtroom, I went back to my office across the street 
And my boss, believe it or not, back then, I believe this was 1978, thereabouts, called Washington. And eventually we heard from the deputy attorney general who said, if anyone interfered with my making the arrest, the marshals would be there, the U.S. Marshal Service, and they would take everyone into custody if they dared to interfere with me. So needless to say, I arrested this alien, and we deported him. He was a criminal. If I remember correctly, he was from the Dominican Republic. So look where we are today. I wrote an article for Front Page Magazine, and I hope that after you listen to the program, you will go to frontpagemag.com and check out my articles. But I wrote an article, and it questions whether or not the judge actually conspired with a prosecutor and a defense attorney to help an illegal alien who had been previously deported from the United States two times earlier, who had a criminal history, who had been arrested on a drug charge and was wanted on a drunk driving charge in another state in Pennsylvania. The judge here was in in Massachusetts. They actually allowed the alien out of the courtroom and they snuck him out a back door where he hopped the fence and disappeared. He was eventually caught, but the point of the matter is that it would appear that the judge conspired with the prosecutor. This is a prosecutor. These are the enforcement people. They're on the side of law enforcement. You don't get to pick laws the way you pick food in a diner. This isn't the Chinese restaurant. I'll have one from column A and three from column B. It doesn't work that way. You can't decide you don't want the egg roll, but you want the wonton soup. That's what you do in a restaurant. When you're a judge, when you are a prosecutor, when you are a law enforcement officer, you take a note to support the Constitution, support and defend the Constitution, and enforce the laws of the United States. Not the laws you like, but all of the laws of the United States, period. You don't have that discretion. And if you feel so strongly that there are laws that you find so abhorrent that you can't in good conscience enforce them, well, then find a different way to earn a living because you are violating your oath and you're violating the law by obstructing law enforcement. So apparently that's exactly what happened. A Dominican illegal alien who had been previously deported twice, who at the time that he was arrested falsely claimed to be an American citizen, which is a three-year felony, by the way, Title 18, United States Code, Section 911, re-entered after deportation uh, with his criminal history, probably qualifies as an aggravated felon, which means that he was uh, exposed to the potential of 20 years in jail for unlawful re-entry. This is the guy you will let escape. And, you know, you hear this nonsense. Oh, well, it's only administrative law. No, there's two sets of law. So let's have a quick law lesson, folks. Immigration deals with two sets of laws. Administratively, the remedy for being an illegal alien is deportation or removal from the United States. You shouldn't be here. We're kicking you out. That's the administrative side of immigration law enforcement. And you have administrative law judges, immigration judges, who have the authority to order an alien deported or removed. And so uh, that's the administrative side. Criminally, however, if you make a false claim to citizenship, that's a felony. It's no different from any other felony, and it gets prosecuted in federal court by federal judges who hear drug cases and espionage cases, assassination cases, you name it. 
It's under federal criminal law. That's not administrative. That's criminal law. Reentry after deportation. That I worked with Aldamato, as I'm sure you remember my mentioning this in prior programs and in my articles, to create that law that makes unlawful reentry by criminal aliens a felony that carries up to 20 years in a federal jail. That's not administrative law. An alien who lies on a visa application, that is not administrative law. That alien could face up to 25 years in jail if he or she lied on a visa application in conjunction with terrorism. That's a serious crime. An alien who engages in fraud, marriage fraud, uh, lies on applications, those are felonies under federal law, not administrative law. But meanwhile, if you look at the transcript, you got the prosecutor whispering to the judge, well, I know I've got a detainer on this guy, but I don't think that's my responsibility. Whose responsibility is it, yo-ho? I mean, unbelievable. Unbelievable. The good news is a grand jury has been convened, and they are now exploring what needs to be done to the people involved. And I got to tell you, I hope, that those people involved wind up getting convict felonies and disbarred. These aren't freedom fighters, okay? This isn't, you know, like the days of the Underground Railroad. We're going we're gonna to help the slaves. Folks, these people are violating our laws. They're violating our borders. They're taking jobs of American workers. They're committing other crimes. They're committing identity theft. It's turning people's lives upside down. When people enter the United States, they're supposed to go through a port of entry so that they can be inspected. No different from Ellis Island. And I was on an Act for America phone conversation, the conference call. I led the call two days ago. And it was interesting because I heard from a Ph.D. who is involved with epidemiology and oncology and so forth. And he said, you know, no one really talks about public health and illegal immigration. And he's right. This is a very important issue. We keep on seeing more and more diseases that we thought that we had vanquished roaring back in the United States. We've seen children become paralyzed, suffering from a neurological disease that mimics some of the symptoms of polio, which we thought we were done with. We are endangering the lives of our children and everybody, actually, by having people come in who haven't been inoculated. Think about this whole vaccine controversy. You have to have your child vaccinated if you want your child to go to school. We have kids pouring across the borders, living in communities across the country, and their parents or the adults that they're with, God knows of their parents, who haven't been vaccinated, who may be carrying dangerous diseases. And this isn't bigotry. Oh, you're accusing these people of whatever. No, that's just reality. You know, it's remarkable um, there was an article on, in, on the radio yesterday or two days ago, a piece they did about how birds are being smuggled into the United States and agriculture was quarantining the birds because they could carry deadly diseases that could kill off species of birds in the United States. Do you think that that issue about diseases is limited to birds or dogs or cattle? People can be carriers of diseases. There is nothing wrong with talking about something that no one wants to talk about, that we are endangering Americans and lawful immigrants and people who are here when people come in who haven't been vaccinated and who carry dangerous communicable diseases. And in fact, if you go to Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, it's the categories of excludable aliens. And at the very top of the list, item number one, 
excludable from the United States are aliens who suffer from dangerous communicable diseases and aliens who are severely mentally ill. It's right there. That's what the law is about. And when the president says we need to build a wall and, and, and Chuck and Nancy show up, oh, it's immoral to build a wall. What's immoral about requiring people entering the United States to be inspected? The wall would not block off any port of entry, folks. But how many people realize it? This isn't a barrier to prevent everyone from coming in. It's only designed to funnel all humans and all cargo through a port of entry, port of entry where they can be vetted, where they, their entry can be recorded, and we have a record of entry. This is about national security. The wall is immoral. And if you ask most people who are mindless, why would the wall be immoral? They would say, well, this is an effort to keep Mexicans out of the United States. I've had people say this to me. And this is why discussions are so damn important. When someone can say, well, they want the wall to keep Mexicans out. No, they want the wall to keep people from sneaking in. It's not about keeping anybody out. The wall would not keep out one single person. It would simply make certain that everyone who does come in has to go through a port of entry be interviewed, inspected, documents examined, and then a decision made based on law, Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, that the alien isn't a criminal, doesn't have a disease, isn't a fugitive from justice, isn't a terrorist, isn't a spy, isn't a gangbanger, uh, doesn't have convictions for murder or rape. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. And Nancy Pelosi has the chutzpah, as we say in Brooklyn, to say that the wall would be too costly, ineffective, and immoral. Now, let's tackle the issue about the wall being too expensive. Oh, the president said Mexico's going to pay for the wall. How many times have we heard that? That Mexico isn't agreeing to pay for anything. Folks, stop and think. This is really the problem we have in America today, the inability of Americans to question or to think. The purpose for the wall is to keep out aliens who would work illegally. The purpose for the wall is to keep out narcotics that are killing people in America, most often our children. It's behind much of the violence. The drug money not only funds the cartels, but as I've written in prior articles and I've discussed on this program, the proceeds from drug trade fund terrorism, including Hezbollah, and we know that Iran is going nuts because President Trump got us out of that god-awful deal that Obama made with Iran, which puts them on a pathway to nuclear weapons. So they're looking to take retribution against America. Hezbollah is operating throughout Latin America. For those of you not familiar with Hezbollah, it's a terrorist organization that is supported, funded, funded and trained by Iran. It's their uh, it's their bunch. And Hezbollah has been identified as operating in close conjunction with human and drug traffickers throughout Latin America, bringing literally tons of drugs into the United States, ruining lives, 
generating tens of billions, if not hundreds of billions of dollars in ill-gotten revenue. It's inflaming the situation with gangs and funding their activities. It's getting people hooked on drugs. And in some cases, uh, we have women becoming prostitutes in order to feed the drug habit. We have men becoming gang members because they're desperate for the drugs. And the list goes on and on and on. So the wall would keep out the drugs. If the drugs don't get to the United States, not only do we save lives, but the proceeds of the drug sales won't be going anywhere because we're trying to keep the drugs from entering in the first place. If you could block the hundreds of billions of dollars that leave the United States every year between illegal aliens working in the United States and drugs flowing into the United States and the money from the drug sales flowing out of the United States, guess what? Within one year, within one year, the wall pays for itself and its money that does not go to Mexico. So Mexico doesn't have to send us a nickel. We will just keep them from getting our money in the first place. I don't know why President Trump doesn't make that point, but that's his problem. It's certainly not my problem, because that's what we're talking about. <clears throat> if we could prevent the drugs from flowing in and the tragedies and violence that the drugs create in America, we could prevent the money from leaving that normally would leave when drugs are sold on the streets of towns and cities across our great nation. The wall <clears throat> pardon me, pays for itself. If we had fewer illegal aliens working, we could put more Americans to work. Wages would rise. Americans would have more money. They'd be less reliant on safety net programs, and they'd be better consumers. They'd be able to make some purchases, and that would get the economy fired up, and we would have an upward spiral in economic productivity. The whole idea behind the Economic Stimulus Act was to put money in the hands of the American people. The argument against increasing taxes is that if the American people have more money to spend, they will spend it. And if they spend the money, it fires up the economy, it increases employment, and it increases tax revenue, even if the taxes are, are at a lower rate. The quantity of money we're talking about goes up drastically. If you could keep illegal aliens from working in the United States, they would, the wages would go up. The money that they're sending home would stay in the economy because they wouldn't be earning it. Americans and lawful immigrants would be earning the money. So this is a win, 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 win. No one's explaining it this way anywhere, but I want you all to stop and think about it. So we hear this garbage. Oh, my God, ICE raided a factory. How dare they? How dare they want, how dare they try to liberate jobs for Americans? How dare they put Americans to work? How dare they increase the wages for Americans? How dare they create opportunities for young kids looking for that first job, that, that, that primary job, that first notch on that resume so they could put their foot on that first rung of the economic ladder to success in our country? That's what we're talking about. And that's what I've been writing about. And that's why I, I wrote this article about Pelosi. And I called it Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, the sequel, worse than the original. And, and the subtitle, as Reagan might have said, there she goes again. 
So you have Nancy Pelosi jumping up and down, calling the wall immoral, ineffective, and expensive. Let's take on ineffective. So we'll come back to what I've said in the past. A border wall by itself won't get the job done. Okay? This is what I call the immigration colander, right? A boat with lots of holes in it, a colander, that device that you, you drain pasta with, with all those holes. If you have a boat and all it has is one hole, it's going to wind up in the bottom of the lake. If the boat has five holes, you need to plug five holes. You can't just plug one hole and say, well, my job is done. A border wall would do a, a wonderful job of drastically reducing illegal aliens entering the United States across the Mexican border without inspection. Is it the be-all and end-all? Of course not. Will there be tunnels dug? Sure, there will. And by the way, this brings us back to the Middle East, because that is what Hezbollah has become very good at, digging tunnels under the wall that Israel erected to protect itself. And we're seeing tunnels, very sophisticated tunnels being dug from Mexico into the United States. Is Hezbollah behind it? I would have to argue in one way or another they have an involvement. And we know that the goal of Iran is not just to bring money back by selling drugs and moving people into the United States, but also providing themselves with opportunities to bring sleeper agents to the United States. And we've had Iranian sleeper agents arrested in the United States. So this isn't far-fetched, gee whiz, it might happen. I would argue, gee whiz, it is happening. So a wall on the border is only one of a number of things that need to be done to plug the holes in the bottom of our boat. You need many more agents for interior enforcement in addition to the wall. You need many more immigration judges in addition to the wall. We need to end sanctuary cities, which aid, abet, encourage, and induce aliens to run our borders and violate our immigration laws because among them are criminals and terrorists and fugitives from justice and aliens who displace American workers. Why is nobody angry that Americans are losing their jobs because of this madness? Why is no one complaining that American wages are in the tank because of this? You know, I, I, I sit here frequently and try to come up with an idea as to how I can explain to all of you what I've come to understand by my many years dealing with the immigration issue. I, I hate to admit it, but I got my inspector's badge in 1971. That's quite a while ago. So I've been involved with the immigration issue for almost a half century, which blows my mind just thinking about that. But it's, it's a long, long time. And if you want to think about wage suppression, the house that I'm living in is the house that my parents bought when I was all of 11 years old. It's amazing to be back in the house where I grew up, and it's wonderful. There's nothing like it. It's home. It's truly home. I'm actually sitting right now in what used to be my bedroom, and we've turned it into kind of an office space for myself and, and, and my house. But it was the bedroom that I slept in when I was a young boy. And back then, to buy the house, my father needed to, to, to spend roughly – three to four years worth of his annual salary to be able to pay for the house. Of course, he didn't have that kind of cash on hand, so he took out a mortgage. But to give you an idea about buying power, the house that I'm in cost my father between three and four times his gross annual salary as a construction worker. He was a tradesman, a plumber, my biggest hero next to my mom. Today, 
it would take over 10 or 11 years worth of salaries to purchase this very same house. So if you have any doubts about purchasing power, this house, even allowing for inflation and everything else, is between two and three times more expensive than it was when my parents first bought this house many years ago. Think about that. That's why you now see commercials about an app, which blew my mind, so that you can rent your neighbor's car. Where in the world did we ever think we would get to the point where people would intentionally rent out the family car to a stranger? This isn't the American dream. It's a perversion of the American dream. People used to have two cars in their driveway, and a house was a foregone conclusion. That was the American dream to own your own little house with your own little strip of grass somewhere and two cars sitting in the driveway. Most people today have very old cars or they're leasing their vehicles or in many cases they just rent when they really need a car and the rest of the time, I don't know how they get around. We have lost purchasing power in America in a way that never would have been anticipated just a couple of decades ago. And a big part of the problem stems from the fact that we are flooding America with foreign workers who drive down wages. And increasingly, we see automation and artificial intelligence, and jobs are becoming scarcer for all too many, all too many people. And yet, we keep on bringing in more workers than the number of new jobs we're creating. And this is done intentionally. When you hear people say, you know, my, my, my uncle, my cousin had to wait years to come to the United States, the reason it took so long is they were given what's known as a priority date. And then you have to wait until your date becomes current. Well, why did we do that? Because we did not want to admit more than about a million lawful immigrants every year, because we know that if you flood the country with too many people at one time, you will wreak havoc on the economy. You'll wreak havoc on the job market. So illegal aliens come along and the refugees come along and those numbers don't interfere with the million. It just gets added to it. So now we're truly flooding America in a way that we were trying to avoid. It makes a mockery of those folks who came here from other countries who waited in line, who spent a ton of money on lawyers, who did everything they were supposed to do, and now you have illegal aliens demanding that they be permitted in. And there was an interesting article, and I don't have it in front of me, but an individual who was wanted for setting off a bomb in Latin America was leading a parade of so-called migrants to the U.S. Embassy demanding money. I don't know if it's a bribe or what you want to call it, but, but lots and lots of money so that things are okay. So you have a known terrorist leading a parade of the migrants from the caravans that the mainstream media is trying to not talk about anymore. They haven't gone away, folks. They're just not being reported on. Think about that. Uh, I know Fox isn't reporting on it. They had me come in at Fox twice uh, around Thanksgiving. On Thanksgiving morning and the following day, I was at Fox and Friends first to talk about the caravan. The other networks aren't talking about it. You know, there's a wonderful question that asks, if a tree falls in the forest, there's no one there to see it fall, does it make a sound? The better question is, if the tree falls in the forest and nobody is willing to report about it falling, does anybody know that it fell? How many people think that the caravan is gone because the mainstream media no longer reports on it? 
If they don't report on it, it becomes invisible. And the mainstream media frequently engages willful censorship by picking and choosing what they're going to put on the air, and they will devote tons of time, precious airtime, with all the stories going on, about some cutesy story about a dog that jumps up and down or, or a kid that has a pet you know, parrot or whatever, and they'll devote 10 minutes to the story. And meanwhile, the caravan and all the other garbage that's going on does not get reported on. They fill the time with garbage, and they leave out the critical stories that would help us as Americans to truly understand how serious the crisis concerning border security and immigration law enforcement is. This is failure by design. This is willful censorship. They finally had the CEO from Google come on to talk about how they're censoring people who are conservative. And, of course, they deny it, and we go around in circles. We know what is going on, and what's going on is America is being betrayed by the media and by the politicians. And it was interesting, though, because here in New York, CBS was talking about Google setting up that that second headquarters in Long Island City and how the the mayor allegedly did some kind of a covert deal, anything but transparent, made it legally binding, and there was no accountability. And the people working for them are furious. They say they treat the workers like garbage. You're just a number, and they want productivity, and they don't care about the people, and and on and on and on. Well, what's happening now is Google is starting to unionize. And, of course, Google's not happy about that. And I know that my conservative friends hate the unions, and I have mixed feelings about unions. My dad belonged to the plumbers' union, and there were some pretty unsavory characters there, I will tell you. But what are the choices that corporate America is giving to the average American worker today. If you keep treating people terribly, eventually the tipping point gets reached and they start to unionize and they start to push back. It's only rational. It's only reasonable. If you don't want people to unionize, treat them fairly and there's no reason to have a union. If you treat people like indentured servants, then they will unionize and they will make demands and they will go out on strike. And so here's something else that's interesting about the Democratic Party. When I went to high school, we all learned about the labor movement, about Samuel Gompers, about the AFL and the CIO, and about the sweatshops and the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire. Very important lessons about the labor management equation and and what it was that drove workers to unionize and, and how the Pinkertons came into existence, which back then was a security company that specialized in breaking strikes by breaking heads. And when people were hired to displace striking workers, they were given the very unflattering term of scab labor. Well, there aren't many strikes anymore in the United States, if you think about it. Not many strikes at all. And yet, employers are hiring scab labor in a real manner. These are the foreign workers that are displacing Americans who are showing up to work. It's not as though they're on strike and they say, well, you went on strike, so we're replacing you. And we're not just talking about bottom-rung jobs. Disney fired hundreds of their programmers, computer programmers, who they just gave these wonderful letters to telling them that they were the best of the best of the best, 
And by the way, you're going to be training your replacement who's coming here from India. And if you don't train your replacement, you're not getting your severance package. And, and what did they do wrong? Nothing. They were getting letters of commendation by Disney just weeks prior to being fired. Fired. For what reason? They're Americans. And who wants to hire an American when you can hire a cheaper worker from India? And if you look at Bob Goodlatte, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, on his way out the door, his son, Bobby Goodlatte, is a computer executive who loves hiring people from the third world. That's what Mr. Goodlatte told me during the conversation we had, because they're so brilliant. Indian programmers are brilliant. Well, I take exception to that, folks. But this goes back to what I keep saying. This is not a left-right issue. The American people think it's a left-right issue. It's not. It's a right-wrong issue, and the politicians are on the wrong side. My friend Lou Barletta ran for the Senate and did not get the support of the Republican Party. Now, why wouldn't they support Lou? Lou was instrumental in helping Donald Trump win the presidency because he basically delivered Pennsylvania for candidate Donald Trump. Lou Barletta believes in immigration law enforcement, and it's my belief that Lou didn't tell me this, but I... I do a lot of reading and a lot of thinking and a lot of questioning. Lou is strong on immigration enforcement. That's how he came to Congress. He was the first mayor in the United States to enact an ordinance that would punish anyone who would hire illegal aliens knowingly or knowingly rent apartments to illegal aliens. And why did he do it? Certainly not a xenophobe, certainly not a bigot. Lou is a real good guy. But a Dominican drug gang had set up shop in his town of Hazleton, Pennsylvania, and killed people. They hadn't had a murder in years, and suddenly they had several homicides, and the Bush administration did nothing to help them. No shock, because the Bushies are globalists. They don't like borders. Borders, we don't need those stinking borders. So Lou enacted the ordinance. He got sued. I was his final witness at the trial. Chris Kobach was the defense attorney. Chris reached out to me. We knew each other from prior stuff. And he said, Mike, I need you to testify. And I rushed out there and testified. So that's how I know Lou. And that's how he then became a member of Congress. And he was basically stymied in every effort because the Republicans are globalists. Think about Paul Ryan. Think about John Boner, uh, John Boehner. They're globalists. That wasn't the Freudian slip, by the way. They are globalists. And I really believe that the leadership of the Republican Party would rather that a Democrat occupy that seat in the U.S. Senate from Pennsylvania than someone like Lou Barletta, who believes in sovereignty. It's both parties. And if we don't understand it's both parties, we're going to make some very bad decisions. We're going to be voting for Republicans thinking the Republican Party is on the side of secure borders, and they're not. Each and every politician is an individual, and you absolutely must make the decision as to who you're going to vote for based on who the individual is. Don't look for help from the political parties because they're in on this. The two parties are having this ridiculous argument. And what are they saying? Well, we can't deport the 11 million. It's probably 30 million or more. So the best we can do is give them legal status. Now the debate devolves into, 
do we give illegals a pass to citizenship or, quote, unquote, only allow them to work in the United States? Do you understand that that's a false choice? It's bait and switch. An alien who's in the United States and wants a green card and a pathway to citizenship just marries an American and they get what they want. They're playing this little game to make you think that you're getting a choice. There's no choice here. Heads they win, tails we lose. Both parties have done this to us. Both parties. The politicians love the idea of a massive legalization program. Do you know why? Because every immigration lawyer in America, people like Zoe Lofgren, who's an immigration lawyer, she's a Democrat, people like Bob Goodlatte, who's about to leave Congress, by the way, specialized in H-1B visas before he became a congressman, you have increase of H-1B visas, Bob Goodlatte will probably, I'm imagining, practice immigration law. I can't imagine he'd be doing something other than that. He was very good at it when he was uh, an attorney before he became a congressman. So this is an employment program for lawyers. This would fill every lawyer's waiting room in the United States across the country. The immigration system is a delivery system that delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor and unlimited supply of foreign tourists. That's why we had 26 visa waiver countries on 9-11. We wound up with 38 visa waiver countries now. They haven't increased any since President Trump took office, but they certainly increased the number under both George W. Bush and under Barack Obama. And by the way, guess who gave us the first visa waiver program? Ronald Reagan, uh, before he gave us the amnesty. Both parties have done this to us. And it was President um, Bush, Herbert Walker Bush, um, who gave us the diversity visa on the, on the tail of the amnesty because they decided that there were people who came with visas who didn't qualify under the Immigration Reform and Control Act because they didn't run the border. So they had to find some way of bringing in the Irish and bringing in the third world. So... The diversity visa was supposed to be for aliens who were underrepresented. And that that was the guise. At the end of the day, the goal to all of these measures was to greatly increase the flow of cheap labor and all these other um, people that they wanted for all these other purposes, whether it's tourists, whether it's labor, whether it's foreign students, whether it's clients for immigration lawyers. Everyone is making out like bandits except the average American who's losing his or her job and suffering wage suppression, where we are today. And even when you look at the risks that we get from open borders, you have Nancy Pelosi, soon to be Speaker of the House of Representatives, which blows my mind, calling the wall immoral. Never mind that the 9-11 Commission was clear that 9-11 happened because there were so many failures of the immigration system. They were very clear about it. And yet, DHS is created in such a way where immigration law enforcement is thoroughly gutted. John Hostetler, chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee, back in 2000, 2005, and so forth, I testified for John at least, I think, eight times now. Uh, He's no longer a congressman. But at a hearing in 2005, He described the way that DHS had been put together by the Bush administration and said that it resulted in immigration incoherence. 
the Democrats had nothing to do with it. This was a creation of the Republicans. Immigration incoherence. Why? Because it's a delivery system. These are failures by design. And, of course, as it gets amped up, you have a judge conspiring with a prosecutor and the defense attorney whispering and then saying, let's turn off the recorder. God knows what she said when the recorder was off. And apparently a decision was made that even though there was an ICE agent present in the courthouse waiting to take this alien into custody, they enabled him to sneak out a back door, hop a fence, and disappear. Why? Because if you listen to the media, if you listen to the Democrats, they've had a massive public relations campaign going since Jimmy Carter. It's somehow heroic to help people evade immigration authorities. Meanwhile, the same Chuck Schumer is the guy who said that trespassing on critical infrastructure and national landmarks should carry with it a five-year jail sentence in a federal jail. His party, his buddies, they want to provide a pathway to citizenship for people who trespass on America. If you're an American, even a 16-year-old boy, that's how he described this kid that climbed the World Trade Center in the construction And in his press release on his official website, Schumer mentioned the 16-year-old boy. That's what he called him, a 16-year-old boy, because by trespassing, it was dangerous. These people should be subjected to five years in jail. Schumer would put a teenager in jail for five years for climbing the Trade Center. But if that same 16-year-old ran the border in the dead of night, Schumer would pat him on the back and say, here you go, let's give you citizenship. The disconnect is mind-boggling, and the foolishness of the average American to buy this garbage is depressing, disheartening, and we need to wake up as many of our neighbors as possible. But you can't do it by insulting people. Folks, please try to engage in a conversation. Please take the articles, if you like what I write, and send them off to your friends and say, look, you don't have to disagree. You don't have to agree with me, but at least... Look at what the world looks like through the eyes of an immigration agent. And again, I'm registered as a Democrat. I can't tell you the last time I voted for a Democrat. But there's no heroes to be found among the Republicans here in New York. We're not getting the kind of support for effective immigration enforcement in New York City from any politician. Because they're all in. This is all about failure by design. And if you dare suggest otherwise, then you're going to be called a bigot and a racist and a xenophobe. And our immigration laws have nothing to do with race, religion, or ethnicity. Again, I'm going to tell you that section of law. Go look at it. Go read my articles because I provide links to the sections of law. Title VIII, United States Code Section 1182, makes it perfectly clear that this has nothing to do with race. But yet immediately on TV, they'll talk about Latino voters as though Somehow Americans who are of Latino ethnicity are different from all other Americans. If you believe that, if you believe that Americans who are of Latino ethnicity are different from all other Americans, then besides being an idiot, you're a racist. Because that is what racism is, when you attribute qualities to a person based purely on their race. So if you say Latinos have different values, that is a statement of bigotry and racism. All Americans, and I don't care what your last name is, I don't care your skin color, your race, or your religion, all rational Americans 
want the military to keep America's enemies as far from our shores as possible. All rational Americans want the police to keep our streets safe. All rational Americans want our schools to educate our children. And we want to know that any American, irrespective of what I call superficial issues, race, religion, ethnicity, gender, all Americans, regardless, have an opportunity to write the next success story if they're willing to study hard, work hard, and benefit from perhaps a little bit of good luck thrown in for good measure. But we hear the nonsense. We have people convinced when we talk about immigration, it's about Mexico. Um, half the illegals or close to half the illegals did not run the Mexican border. They came through ports of entry and violated the terms of their entry. And many of them were working. And, and I was on a radio show with a conservative host a couple of weeks ago. And he said to me incredulously, he said, Mr. Cutler, are you telling me that if an undocumented immigrant is working and paying taxes, you would deport him? I said, is he here illegally? He said, yes, but I said, but what? If he's working, he's stealing a job. Everyone has lost sight of that. We used to raid factories, folks, and arrest a bunch of illegal aliens. And later that day or the next morning, I would drive by the factory, and there'd be a line around the block of American and lawful immigrant workers hoping to get a job that we had liberated. Every time there's a campaign, the politicians promise to create jobs with effective immigration law enforcement, we can liberate jobs at no cost to the owner of the factory other than they're going to have to pay them a decent wage and pay them on the books. What in the world is wrong with that? Um, illegal immigration is not a victimless crime. Besides the risk to public health and public safety and national security, we wind up with lots of identity theft, illegal aliens buying stolen identities so they can get ID, so they can get that illegal job, or if they're criminals, so that they can embed themselves in a community. The terrorists on 9-11, those 19 hijackers, used 364 false names or variations of false names. When you create a climate of criminality, there's many, many victims. Some pay with their lives, some pay with their peace of mind, some pay with their jobs, some pay with their stolen identities. There's a price that America and Americans are paying for illegal immigration, and it's the cost that the politicians don't want to talk about. But it's the cost that I will tell you about because you have a need to know. In any event, I want to thank you for spending this hour with me. I hope the information that I provide to you is helpful. I hope it will also provide you with ammunition for the next time you speak with someone who disagrees with you because you can give them solid facts, not the I've heard and they say nonsense, but let them understand what the law says. Let them understand the purpose for our laws, the idea of protecting lives and the jobs of Americans. It's very important, folks. Get involved uh, and make it your New Year's resolution that this will be the year that you help to make a difference. Because at the end of the day, please remember that individuals write history. The person that stands up at that moment in history to make all the difference in the world can write history. I hope you'll be one of them. Because never forget that democracy is not a spectator sport. I hope whatever you do this weekend, you have fun, you enjoy yourself. And um, I hope you'll be joining me again next week. At the same time, right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. 
So long, everybody. Have a wonderful weekend. See you next week.